Hello, everybody, and welcome to the April episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And to this month, uh, today, I guess, our guest is Steve Tressler. Hi, Steve. Welcome. What's up, Steve? Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? So Steve is a Seattle-based saxophonist, composer, educator. He studied at the New England Conservatory of Music and then did a master's at UW in jazz and is quite an accomplished saxophonist. His resume and the people he's played with is really, really long and super exciting. Uh, most recently, he partnered with uh, trumpeter Ingrid Jensen on a record called Invisible Sounds for Kenny Wheeler, and it was named one of Downbeat's best albums of 2019, which also got featured on uh, the New York Times and Jazz Night in America from NPR. So that's pretty exciting. Killing it, Steve. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that was pretty pretty special project and yeah the attention it got let alone the music and playing with those folks yeah amazing times that's so awesome but we are actually not here to talk about that record at all (laughs) because steve's got a new record coming out uh and it's called the snow line suite and it's a tone poem suite about uh i gather from the uh writing that you've sent me about the cascade and olympic mountain ranges is that right yep and also the Canadian Rockies as well. Um, oh, cool. Well, which we'll get ranges. into, but it's cool. kind of the western, western mountain ranges. Gotcha. Okay, so question number one: uh, What's the impetus behind this project? Why mountains? Uh, why, why these mountains specifically? And uh, yeah. And then can, last little piece of question here: Can we yeah. uh, just define what a snow line is for those who don't know what that is? Also, uh, oh, oh, oh man, right. I don't know either. Max is a skier; oh, he uh, probably knows. Yeah. Well, my question is: Well, so there's a tree line, which is where trees won't grow above a certain elevation. But then there's a snow uh-huh. line, and that's where the freezing point is when it's snowing. Correct? Yes. So you look at the mountain, and you see the top part of it covered in snow, and uh, uh, the bottom part is not. And then, so that. Uh, that area where it it becomes different is uh, the snow line. Yeah, the snow gotcha. line, the, fr- the freezing point. As you're driving up, <laughs> yeah. you, you notice if you're driving through the mountains, it's raining, and then suddenly it's snowing. Like when you've gone right past yep. the the freezing point. Yeah. So this whole started with uh, this this record I recorded with the trio out of Denver, the Annie Booth trio. Annie's a good friend of mine. We met at a workshop in Banff. The there's an international jazz workshop with musicians from all over the world. We did this back in 2011 and, you know, Andy and I played together, uh, collaborated on some music, put together a group with folks from Canada and South Korea and Australia. And, um, we just had a lot of great times. Yeah. Playing up there, you know, we're in the, in the Canadian Rockies at the Banff center for the arts. And, um, yeah. And and then, yeah, Andy and I stayed in touch and, you know, she reached out to me about coming out to Denver and playing, playing with her group. And then, you know, we also talked to the idea of bringing her out to Seattle, sort of a two city tour. So I, I went to Denver and played with her folks. She came out to Seattle and um, played with some rhythm section players I've been working with. And we worked on some new music. And, you know, when we were just talking about that kind of two city, th- th- those dates, you know, talking about possibly a theme for the project, we're just thinking, well, we've only, you know, we've played together, you know, in, in Denver, in Seattle, it's all these mountainous environments. We're kind of like, we can actually use that as a theme. It's just drawing, you know, those cities that we had played together. And so we brought, you know, a whole bunch of music and recorded. Uh, we were actually in the studio for a few days, but we um, ended up taking 
taking this particular, so this is a suite of music I wrote for that project, thinking about this is, this is music that's going to be adaptable to be able to play it with different, different people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we recorded a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of Annie's music we have, you know, still, still in the can, but decided to release this on my own with the six movement suite of mine. And plus one of, one of Annie's songs. So it started with the places we played together and the people we were playing with and what some kind of theme we can wrap around this. And, and that's how it, that's how it came to be. Sure. Cool. So, and, uh, well, it's, it's, Max is a big skier too. We've been, we've been chatting on, we, we didn't make it up together. Ski know, season, we ski well, season was cut, cut short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh well, yes. next year we're going to have to do that. Yeah. So, I mean that, that's, you know, so that's part of it. My time, you know, growing up in, you know, gr- growing up in the, in the Northwest, spending time hiking and skiing. And, you know, that's been an important part, just the natural environment around this area is, I mean, one reason that drew me back, you know, I love going back East to play, hanging with my friends from NEC and folks in New York, but there's something about being there for a long period of time, kind of miss, you know, getting the inspiration from, you know, what we have here in the Northwest. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, my time skiing up in the mountains is obviously part of it, but it's also, um, yeah, larger, larger concept than that for the record. Cool. Absolutely. Looking through the titles in this suite, um, and also listening to the music, because uh, both Max and I have gotten uh, been fortunate enough to get an advanced listening to this record, the titles and the songs themselves are extremely evocative, and not just uh, not just that it's good music, but it's it's uh, I mean it's kind of cliched, but it really really does paint a picture, and I feel like I can see. Uh, with my eyes, almost uh, what I'm hearing, and that's that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, I wanted to ask you about your writing process for this. Uh, did you? It sounds like you chose the theme first, uh, and then wrote music to it. Uh, did you choose titles specifically, and then write for those concepts, or did you write music around the theme, and then the uh, title came out of it? How does how did that work for you? Kind of all all of the above. You know, I was writing. You know, I knew there'd be some kind of mountain or snow themed music, and I was kind of in a, in a slump or a block. It's like, oh, I got this project coming up, you know, writing a bunch of music and coming up with some themes and some motifs and some ideas, and it didn't quite pull together. And then at a certain point, I, I had an idea for this larger multi-movement piece and seeing how some of these little fragments that I had would fit into it. And then at that point, I came up I, with, um, with the arc of the whole thing and how it sort of bookended with these more abstract pieces with the metallic percussion, which we'll get into. And then at that Mm. point, you know, I had some ideas, but then I pieced it together and then I came up with the titles. And then from there I was able to piece it together. And that kind of put me over the hump creatively. Once I had that framework and a start, it just helped me get some momentum. And then suddenly there was a period where, you know, I was just like in my, in my studio for, you know, a couple of, I don't know, like a weekend just disappeared and all this music came out, but it, it started with having, having the right kind of framework and structure or limitation around it. Um, sure. And yeah. Having, yeah, having some really vivid imagery. I mean, some of, some of the things from my last, last couple records didn't have necessarily that program music element. We're trying to paint a picture, you know, sometimes it, I mean, the idea of that can be cheesy at times, I suppose, but kind of looking at, so I was looking at a multi dimensional look at, you know, the, these mountain formations and, um, yeah, trying to have it be very, some very vivid imagery. And with some of these movements that we'll talk about, the playing with this duality of 
of motion and stasis that, you know, over time, you know, how these, how these mountains form, you know, it's very powerful, um, you know, how, how these, yeah, you know, how these form out of tectonic places, there's, there's power, there's power there, but as we're looking at it, it's very still and static and kind of yeah. trying to mi- reflect that musically through things that are more, um, things that are more linear versus nonlinear, I suppose, without getting too cool, heady about it. Awesome. Well, we've done a bunch of talking. Uh, how about we listen to some tunes? So, uh, Let's put on one of the tracks out of the suite, and uh, the one that we want to listen to now is called Tectonics, uh, which is pretty much uh, all those things that you've described. Let's see if we can hear what's going on there. Here goes.
Wow, that was a wonderful piece. I loved how much, uh, I love very much how it started with a bass and piano unison lines. It really felt super evocative of big tectonic plates moving. Like I could hear those movements. That's really cool. And I really love that transition, like right at the end, that sparkly, slow and, and serene ending. It just like, it felt like, to me, I, I wrote this down like as I was listening to it. It sounded like a peaceful and cold mountaintop that the big movements had created. And that was just like this shining cap of a, a, a piece. Oh, dude, can, work. can you write my liner notes? That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. I, I mean, and so you yeah, have the ones that one's, the, yeah, you know, one of the regular rate is. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me see. Uh, write you a check. Uh, but that's, that's great. Well, thanks. I'm glad it had that you know, is it evoke some of those images that that's one of the ones that were, you know, with the, one of the groovier pieces, I guess, with those, you know, some of those constant, the, the ostinatos, you know, the, the, re, the repetitive nature. And then there's also, you know, so, some of the melodic stuff going on top was more, un, was unpredictable and varied. And that's mm-hmm. talk, um, as I mentioned earlier, just kind of la- layering those, those sounds, those sounds together. Definitely. Uh, and yeah, and that transition is, you know, a lot of these, you know, on its own, it seems a little unfinished, but it's really setting up, you know, that's the, some of the t- yeah, transition material to, uh, to the next movement. So I just wanted I, to mention really quick that Steve actually sent us uh, a chart <clears throat> for one of these, one of these songs. Yeah. And um, I don't know, Josh, did you have a chance to look at that? I did a little bit. It's really, really cool. Uh, I don't cool. know yeah. that the melodies show up in this one necessarily, but there are a couple other tracks uh, that they do show up in. And there's like a page of uh, bird songs, like with like the exact species and uh, music notation written down. And I guess yeah. you're playing these and that's so wild. So, yeah. So why don't we um, let's, let's listen to a bit of that. Um, and then, yeah, I can talk about the notation. Yeah, often, I thought it'd be interesting, you know, for you, for you to hear it first and then send the chart later, so you can see how it was put together because it's not obvious. That makes sense. Okay. So, so th- uh, does Dusk have this, or is it? Yeah, they, they, track? they both do. I think. I th- let's play. Dusk is a little denser. So what happens is the the first and the sixth movement. Uh, so what bookends this suite? There's daybreak is the opening and dusk is the closing. And using it's a, the same score, similar process, but what comes out is is different. So this dusk, this is the closing movement, which is essentially a reprise of the the opening. Uh, but as as we'll get to, that they they end up unfolding in different ways. Gotcha. Well, sure. Let's go straight for it. Uh, here's dusk. Listen for the birds.
All right. So that, wow, Dusk, this is a really um, kind of a darker uh, arena of music than the rest of the album, in my opinion. And I love it. Um, there was a theme that I heard uh, in both Tectonics and Dusk and uh, a couple other places in this album. Um I'm assuming, was that something that you came up with? Uh, I believe it's actually the first three notes in, um, actually I forget which song was the first three notes in, but it's, uh, it's just three notes and it, it's found, it's like dun, 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 or something like that. Yeah. Um, was that something you came up with before you wrote this album or was that kind of a thing that happened as you were writing it or, um, so that, how, yeah, how that? I, I think, yeah, that, so that theme is, from that ostinato of tectonics and so i yeah. wrote it in that in that way so so what so what's happening in the piece that we listen to uh, we can even if there's a way to link to the pdf of this the score somewhere in the show notes if that's even possible to do you can check it out so we have different layers happening this is a process i worked with uh some degree when i was working with kung vu in the modern band at university of washington where we're doing very you know experimental and um you know new you know some new musical experiments and putting them putting them into pieces. So this, you know, I got some of the idea for this overall sound from one of my favorite composers, French composer, Olivier Messiaen. Um, oh yeah. So, some of his orchestral music and quartet for the end of time, where there's these layers, you know, these different sound layers that fit together. I mean, to me, it's more evocative of the natural world or, you know, a machine or something where all these sounds are independent, but they still, they still fit together. And so we have, I mean, that's what inspired and Messiaen was prolific at, uh, transcribing bird calls. There's pictures of him out in nature, you know, with his sketch pad listening. So I went to, you know, ornithology.com or whatever and, and, to, and found some, some birds from the regions, you know, that, that we were spending time playing music together. I actually just the Canadian Rockies. And I listened to a bunch and transcribed some myself. So what I'm playing on clarinet is a series of, you know, approximations of these bird songs from the Canadian Rockies. Uh, and we have, of course, that, metallic percussion sound that's greg campbell uh who's a guest as an added percussionist on some of these tracks and i've played with him with wayne wayne horvitz and he has this whole setup this whole dog and pony show of kitchen bowls and tibetan singing bowls and pipe fittings and you know chimes and gongs and all of this stuff and it makes this really evocative sound and you know messian also was known for an affinity for metallic percussion and some of his large ensemble pieces so that I had that on my mind um, and same with the piano, some of these dissonant chord splashes, again, reminiscent Messian, but then back to Max's question, all those themes from the bass, what I did is at the end, once I'd composed the other music, I just grabbed little, little themes and motifs from throughout the suite and put them in the opening and closing movements. So it would end up uh-huh. being some, some foreshadowing. So I stuck all those in to the, to these movements at the very end as I was okay. wrapping it up. That's a cool so way of doing that. Just yeah, kind of splitting it apart and you know giving yeah. it a little more, little more unity. That was the yeah. That was the what plan. is the uh, what is the sound at the very beginning of dusk? Uh, it sounds almost like a bowed symbol or something. It, it's um, I think I believe it's a <laughs> I think it's a bowed bowl. A bowed bowl. <laughs> and I've seen a bowed bowl. It's uh, I'll have to ask Greg which one it is. I actually have a couple singing bowls that I threw into his pile. Uh, but so, so is yeah. a bowed bowl a metal bowl a metal bowl that you draw like a cello bow over or a violin bow over? Yeah. Um, 
Dang, should get Greg on here. Yeah, I mean, essentially that. Yeah, with a bow, you know, like a violin bow. Because on, wow. on, a, on a singing bowl, or heck, even a kitchen bowl, you can induce the sound by hitting it with a mallet, but you can also take, uh, oftentimes there's like a leather side of the mallet and you rub it around the outside of the bowl and you can induce the singing singing note and different surfaces induce different pitches. And huh. uh, and then Greg's, you know, finding finding all kinds of new sounds out of these things. Yeah, what a creative percussionist. I'm yeah. going to hang out in the kitchen and check that out. Later. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Cause I did that at home. Yeah. My, my wife doesn't have the same affinity for, you know, for like, wait, hold on, hold on. Don't put anything in that yet. And like, let me, you know, I'm sitting there hitting the, like, well, that sounds so cool. Why did I spend 200 bucks on this Tibetan, but this kit, you know, our mixing bowl is, well, listen to this thing. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> so we, we've talked about Greg, uh, who yeah. all is on this record. Yeah. So this is, uh, Annie Booth's trio from, from Denver. Yep. Uh, so Annie's on piano. We've got Patrick McDevitt on bass. Okay. And uh, got Alejandro Castaño on the drums. And, you know, they're all, young, well, younger than me, you know, probably. <laughs> they're all late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, yeah, Patrick's now teaching at, um, Met, uh, what's it called, Metropolitan University of Denver. Ron Miles teaches. Patrick's now teaching bass there as well. But it was fun. We played this music you know, in both cities but playing with her group, you know, they'd rehearsed it ahead of time. We did a radio show there and a bunch of gigs. So we actually did several, um, several performances of this and it really seemed to gel. Um, and it would be, thought it'd be cool to record with those, with those folks. And I actually, when I was in Denver, we had some super fun shows, but I got altitude sickness. Like I was fine just walking around, you know, taking a little hike and stuff. But as soon as I started playing 20 minutes into it, I just got a splitting headache. I was actually like, I was like puking between sets at dazzle. It was super fun oh, gig, no. but, and we, yeah, it was, I just like, yeah, people are like, you got to drink water. I'm like, I know I just drank a gallon of water, but we just, so anyway, when it came time to record, we found a way to actually get them out, get them out to Seattle. So I wouldn't necessarily have to take a week or two to acclimate. Um, so <laughs> wow. I was going to ask if you figured out a way to uh, pressurize the recording studio. Yeah, no, we recorded uh Robert Lang studio in Richmond beach. Uh, just north gotcha. of Seattle, it's a legendary studio. You know, Allison Chains and Soundgarden. You know, the, a lot of the grunge recordings are there. So it's like mm-hmm. in the he's dug under this one story house, just like you know, uh, he just kept digging and digging and built like this cave. It's an epic. It's a mad studio. rebar architect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this it's, the it's whole trio so flew he, out from Denver to Seattle to record this then. Yeah, and we played played a few gigs, and uh, yeah, that's that that was that's how we did it um but i mean i'm hoping to make it back out to denver figure out how to how to acclimate or take breaks or something so i don't i don't know or or spend a spend a week spend a week skiing first and get used to it and then play the gigs yeah so this is incredibly creative music um in fact while i was listening to it i was kind of thinking um about how this might even fit in like a film of some kind Hmm. Uh, what what is your intended audience or intended audiences uh, I guess for this record uh, that that is a good question so for this I know when we had found I mean you know I mean jazz itself is a pretty niche audience you know right. you can look at the you know look <laughs> at the numbers what percentage of people like it and even then you know what are the narrow subset of people that are maybe looking for something new you know are willing you know, this is a relatively short recording, but the kind of person that wants to just sit down 
and likes the experience of listening from an album, you know, beginning to end and, you know, going on some kind of journey. You know, we had, we got some really good feedback when we were playing in Denver. I mean, there was, got some really great audience feedback. Like people were really connecting with it and it felt like there was a really good vibe and energy around it. So, I mean, it's for, it's for the kind of people that who are, you know, in, into, into creative forward looking music um, and into all these elements that we've talked about that, you know, some of these timbres that are uh, maybe slightly unorthodox, you know, some of the, some of the grooves and some of the more straight ahead jazz elements, elements too. Um, Right. And, and also, you know, using this as, you know, of all my recordings, this is one that really showcases, uh, you know, my writing, you know, my voice to whatever degree that is as a player and a composer and with some music in mind that is portable. Like I can, it works great with this trio, but it's all, you know, it's possible if I travel somewhere else, I can play this suite of music with one rehearsal with a different band. So also Mm. looking at something that's a, you know, that's personal, but also somewhat portable um, to, uh, to be able to, to kind of, yeah. I mean, as I'm, you know, whatever, whatever the next steps in my, my career are. So that, that was, that was, yeah, part of the, part of the whole concept of the thing. Very cool. It's a definitely very uh, convenient characteristic to have for, for a set of music. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Cause some of the other stuff I had done, I mean, not large ensemble things, but my record, the first one I did with Ingrid, where she was a guest artist, uh, center song and i had sort of rotating people and some strings in this and some clarinets and overdubs and i was really happy with how a lot of that turned out but it was hard to make that work a lot of it could be done live but some of the ensemble pieces to get the fullness of the sound it just wasn't um practical to play it live that often it's like oh we need a you know cello player for two songs then i need an extra clarinet for the thing that i overdubbed on this one thing and like okay well how can Mm -hmm. i get Mm -hmm. you know get some of those some of those bigger sounds in a way that's scaled back instrumentation i mean good Makes luck sense. finding someone to play at the bowed bowl though <laughs> yeah i'm so i'm so glad greg was available you know we booked this to, uh, I, yeah that that one's yeah um yeah that's that's true and we had played with a quartet yeah it, it's not yeah unless greg comes along those sounds aren't going to be there when we played with alejandro right. in uh you know as the quartet you know he had some bowl i brought my singing bowls and he got some of those sounds and you know some of the metallic percussion so we got into the vibe but it's not cool. it, with if greg doesn't show up with his cart and his suitcase like it's not going to sound <laughs> like but it sound like that for for sure right cool so right before uh we were recording um steve you mentioned that the cd release show was going to be happening uh this coming sunday yeah which by the time the episode comes out, we'll have already passed. However, with recent world events, which everybody is now keenly aware of, um, that show has unfortunately been canceled. And I wanted to find out how you've been going about this release and this promote uh, promotion of this record uh, when nobody can go out to shows anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange. I mean, it's a strange time, but to be releasing something and, you know, I I mean, it's a bummer that was canceled, but it's like, this is, this is what we got to do. So I'm not too, you know, not too bent out of shape about it. It's just, you know, this is the time here. Here we are. This is what's, what's happening. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm very much, I'm releasing this on common tone records, which is, uh, it's a part of common tone arts, which is a nonprofit. My friend and colleague, Brian Chin 
runs, but it's very much an independent release and it's part of their catalog that's kind of just getting started. Uh, but so it's very much DIY for promotion. So, I mean, I was trying the, the strategy of using, you know, some of the things that hit, like my last two records, I had a publicist for one, this record label for the Invisible Sounds record with Ingrid that just did a killing job with the publicity. And I'm mm. going to, you know, I don't, you know, have a, you know, didn't have a big publicity budget for this one, but I was trying to see, hey, I'm going to reach out directly to some of the journalists and people that covered the last one, you know, I'd reach out and thank sure. before, kind of been in touch mm-hmm. with, and just see, and try to write a press release that was, you know, speaking the same language as I'd seen other press releases be successful. But, you know, doing that all on my own, so it's not coming from a, you know, trusted label or curator, you know, it's coming straight from the artist. So we'll see how that's, so it's kind of an experiment to see how much, you know, what the publicity world is, you know, do, doing that, you know, all on my own. But there was something about, you know, when it was, you know, the online, it, it went online, you know, uh, about a about a week ago. And, you know, this is a time where, you know, there's a lot more people at home, there's people listening to music. And it was right at the time, I'm selling it on Bandcamp, where, you know, we're like, hey, you know, we've all, all of us have lost all of our gigs, any of our in-person teaching or workshops, all that stuff is canceled. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have been able to move a lot of my teaching online, you know, to stay afloat where I know not everyone's able to do that. It's just crazy, crazy times. But, you know, Bandcamp had this promotion that last Friday saying, hey, they're waiving their, you know, their, their platform fees and all the proceeds go straight to artists. <clears throat> and there's this big push. It's like, hey, you know, we need to support each other. We need to support the musicians we're listening to. And I sold more music that release week than, you know, not. I mean, these, these projects are expensive and I don't do this as a product to like recoup all my expenses selling physical CDs. I mean, those days are, are over, but you know, being able to sell is like $600 of downloads in a couple of days. Like I've never done anything Whoa. like that. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, that actually paid for all the CDs, you know, a lot of friends and family and colleagues. And, and I bought a bunch of music on Bandcamp, and it was all streaming on Spotify. If you want to hear it for free, go check it out, stream it on Spotify, but people are still investing in music and musicians and there's people listening to it. So in that end, it's pretty, I mean, that, that made the release special in some ways. I could focus on just getting, getting the music out there and, you know, my, then the attention, you know, away from the release shows and just, get, cool. just, get, just, get, just getting it out there. But I'm looking at planning, uh, you know, at least a Northwest tour. I was already, um, you know, possibly in the fall going back, but now, you know, with condition, I'm actually looking maybe a year from now, next, next winter or spring, you know, so mm-hmm. still doing, you know, some small, you know, a, a North Northwest tour and a, you know, r- like to run out to New York. So not, not major touring, but, you know, still, you know, kind of putting a pause on that and still getting to perform this, this music. So it's a strange time, but, uh, yeah. you know, and, but this is a time too, where you can be easily, you know, you can get very obsessed in your project and self-absorb oh, who's paying attention to it, you know, who's, you know, that kind of thing. But now it's like, Hey, we've got a pandemic, we've got a crisis. I'm happy to share my music with people that are, you know, in a space to be listening to it. But, you know, we're, th- we're all thinking about, you know, the big, bigger picture things and, you know, people's yeah health, health and lives and livelihood and, and all that. So it's, uh, it's, yeah. So, Oh, so you mentioned that you've moved uh, a lot of your students to online lessons. Um, I don't want to go too far into this, but yeah. uh, I have also done that <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of musicians across the board have had to kind of quickly learn and adopt um, a bunch of new technology. 
um, and skills associated with that. And uh, I was curious to, to get your take on how you see this adoption progressing after this virus crisis has passed. Yeah, and, that's uh, that's a yeah. oh yeah. Go ahead. I mean, that's a big question because a lot of us, yeah, out of necessity, <clears throat> hey, we've got to go online. I was at, you know, when this was starting to go down, I was coming down with a cold, you know, not not the coronavirus, but I was kind of mm-hmm. like, I just, you know, I'm coughing. I'm like, oh, I can't have people over, so I switched to, you know, use the Zoom conferencing platform. So I did like a couple weeks before everyone was forced to, and kind of got set up. And you know, while in quarantine or you know in lockdown, it's been I've been helping other teachers get set up because you know we gotta we have to figure this out. So. You know, there's big questions in, it brings up bigger questions in education, like what what kind of education do we actually need to be in the same room at the same time to do? If it's lecture-based and we're sitting there passively learning something, why can't that go online right now? Like, why do mm-hmm. thousands of people have to custom make the same lesson instead of having someone who's really good present it and have everyone watch that? And what sort of things, like when we're talking about musical ensembles, do we need people in the same room at the same time? And, you know, it's all tied in with higher education and how expensive that is and what's the value and what you can get online, what's free, what's paid, what's synchronized, what's asynchronized, if that's if that's the word. But um, <laughs> so it's a big thing. And a lot of schools are going, it's going to be tough for a lot of these secondary and universities that have to go online instantly because it takes a serious amount of instructional design and planning to, like, to build a good online course takes a while in a team of people rather than, Hey, you need to learn the platform and switch your, you know, U S history class online this weekend. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be really rough, but I've been looking at the online education world. I mean, I have a, you know, I have a blog and I post a bunch of educational content. And a lot of that goes to serve the in-person workshops and guest artist stuff that I do, but I've been looking at more online education now out of necessity. It's like, Hey, here's the time to develop things. And I'm looking at what, not only transferring the work that I have now to online just to kind of cover my butt and te- for the temporary time, you know, what, what can I do to, you know, keep, keep some income coming in, but also what kind of asset we can build going forward, you know, whether it's some kind of on- online program or course or way to connect people together and play online and looking at, okay, what, what are some things that we can build now and it's a time where a lot of people are isolated and stuck at home and some people who are you know in the position where their basic needs are met and looking for something to do you know to find ways to have education and ways to connect people digitally you know now's the time to do it so it's definitely there's opportunities there but yeah of course like everyone else i've been in defensive mode just like okay what can we do to keep keep stable and ride this out um but as yeah giving me just something to focus on too. It's like what in these days, yeah, largely, you know, it's a lot of people live streaming gigs. I may do some of those, but I'm really focused at this moment during the lockdown on some of the online education, um, hopefully op- opportunities that are, that are out there. Anyway, I could keep going on that for a while, no. but, but uh, yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah. What's the future so- of education? Um, <clears throat> yeah. What's yeah. And yeah. What, what, what the future is going to hold. So, uh, like you alluded to, and like all of us musicians in Seattle and pretty much all around the world, mm-hmm. all of our gigs have been canceled, and we haven't. Nobody's been able to really, uh, in a meaningful way, play a ton of music with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you been dealing with that? Have you been able to stay creative in other ways? I've been seeing lots of fantastic remote collaborations on social media, and uh, like you said, live streaming of concerts usually 
duo or solo or small groups, but is that something you're participating in or, or uh, working towards? Uh, I'm, I'm starting to, yeah. And I'm also looking at a shift of, you know, I'm looking at this time. I forgot who, someone who posted this. Hey, we're not in lockdown. This is an artist in residence. You know, so I'm looking at... <laughs> That's cute. So, I mean, again, I was sick and I had this ear infection and like, I was tr- and I couldn't hear out of one. It's getting better. So I was just kind of out of playing mode for a while and now getting back into it. So yeah, certainly some collaborations are in the works, but I'm also looking at the, hey, what's the, you know, and we take away all the social support systems and it's just you and your instrument, kind of the more meditative aspect of, you know, just playing on my own for my own benefits. So I'm going to start, I just started, I posted something playing in my backyard. You know, I live on this green belt, so I'm going to do some backyard sessions, but just playing on my own, maybe some other people will come over because I want to share that as well. So I'm kind of even looking at the, you know, maybe a time to write music, but the, even the solitary aspect of kind of getting back into that, you know, the times that we all, you know, we get tons of energy from playing with other people, but there's the times where we're working on things on our own. And I'm having some of my students work on some unaccompanied pieces. A lot of them are just used to playing, you know, second alto saxophone and concert band. And if there's no band, mm-hmm. the music yeah. isn't complete. Like there are parts, there's not much to it. So like, what are some unaccompanied pieces? I'm having some even work on some like more advanced students work on like Bach violin partitas and things that are like, this is just the piece of music is for one instrument. And this is complete when you play it. Um, so hmm. doing that, but at the same time, I haven't really done much of being able to, you know, have my mic and audio interface, but being able to record something. Yeah, Max, we're we're going to be working on something here with uh, Ryan Burns sent me a track. Oh, so yeah. I, so I've done some informal recording in my house, but I've never sent. I need to figure out how to send a studio quality track of me playing my saxophone at my computer that I can send to someone else to mix. And Max, I think you may be mixing mm-hmm. this thing. So yeah, so you you so. can help you can help me through that. <laughs> I mean it's. I mean this seems like pretty simple for uh, you know a lot of people who do this like online collaborations a lot. I haven't really done any, and there's some folks I want to put. There's some some collaborations in the card. So part of that is le- learning process for me. It's like okay, I need to record something that sounds decent with the gear that I've got with some, I got some okay gear. What, what do I need to do? You know, I need some yeah, yeah tra- tra- tracking one one in my basement. Right. And then it's yeah, been uh, other, honestly yeah. pretty fast. It's been honestly pretty fascinating to see, uh, just the rise of, uh, home, like home recording has been a thing for a lot of musicians, uh, for years now, but, it's just this event has really, really thrust a lot of musicians into recording and learning how to do that really, really quickly. And so yeah. <laughs> uh, it looks like something we're all going to have to be doing for a little while. Yeah. And uh, well, one other thing I'm doing is this part in the online education realm, too, is finding, I mean, one way all of us know if you're trying to play together on the internet, there's a delay, there's latency, just the time that it takes the signal to go to space yeah. and back, <clears throat> that it's you can't play synchronized in real time unless you've got a really, you know, a pretty serious tech investment on both sides. It's possible to get close on the audio side, but I'm looking at ways that, you know, uh, so I say this, some, some frameworks and prompts to get people to play together and understanding that the latency is there and it's part of a creative limitation. Like how can we make music and record it? And we know it's not going to be grooving together in real time. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm actually have a, doing a saxophone masterclass with all my students, which I haven't done before, but now on zoom, it's really easy to do. And I'm going to kind yeah, of experiment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could all kind of fit in my basement, but I'd have to get a ride over here. It'd be too, but yeah, we're going to do a weekly master class. And one thing I'm going to experiment with is, uh, yeah, being able to jam together, but not in a, you know, a typical way. We're all grooving at the same time because our latency is all, all different. But I did an experiment with my improvisation class at SPU. Some student 
drew a graphic score somewhere like abstract images. And we looked at that and it inspired how we were improvising along with it. And he made a little video of his score and we all played along with it. And it like turned out kind of cool. I'm actually going to post it in some other material. So like, how can we actually play together out of sync and make something cool happen? Um, I'm thinking about how to make, make that work. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what comes up with that. But there's a lot of uh, ensemble teachers out there trying to figure out what to do. Like I have to teach orchestra and we can't play together. You know, they're like, oh, we should, we're, we're going to do a scale tests and theory and, you know, and we're going to do a March Madness bracket of orchestral pieces. I'm like, ah, well, let's find a way that we can play together and it might be weird. So that's, that's another thing I have, have in mind under yeah. the COVID, COVID lockdown. Yeah. We're going to be playing a song called Bacon and Eggs Together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Max, I'll talk to you after this. Help, help me uh, yeah, yeah, make sure definitely. I... I, I I get it going. So that's the first one. But yeah, it's great to, you know, I hadn't talked to Ryan in a while. Get a text out of Lou from Ryan Burns, old, old friend of mine. And yeah, we're going to, we're going to put something, something together. So other, other potential collaborators, uh, in the works, but yeah. And then see, see what happens, what the new, you know, when things go back to quote normal, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure the new normal is going to be the same as what the old normal was. So, well, <laughs> I think the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Never is. Uh, so it's exciting to hear that uh, you and Max too, both of you are working on some cool new stuff. Uh, what's the best way for our listeners of the podcast to check that out um, once that's ready for public consumption? Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. So you can find my stuff, my website, stevetress.com, S-T-E-V-E-T-R-E-S.com. And it's kind of re- being re rebuilt so my educational blog will be back up soon hopefully by the time this airs uh but i was kind of in the in in the process of uh, redoing my site when this whole thing hit so <laughs> we'll we'll get some some material up there and um i'm sure that will go up on my facebook first when that goes up so uh it's facebook.com slash um steve tress music s-t-e-v-e-t-r-e-s music Cool. Yeah, All right. I think Instagram will be pretty big too, and probably yeah. YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all those platforms are seeing a lot of traffic these days, for sure. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And I'm kind of digging Instagram. I was a late adopter of Instagram, but I do like going through. And it's like images and video. I mean, yeah, some are you know carefully staged, so it looks like Max is on his private yacht or whatever. But the, what? uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I do like going through my feed. Definitely it's like, oh, hey, it's carefully some- staged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some pictures and videos. Yeah, does have a private yacht. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I mean, there's just less. There's just less posting of inflammatory stuff and arguments back and forth. You know, it's like, oh, here's just sure. I I kind of actually like going through my feed, and it's like, oh, here's. I was looking for something for a student. I was like, oh yeah, look at those places I went, and here's some, here's some little clips of you know playing music with people, and um, so I'm I'm gonna yeah start to post some of these yeah backyard my backyard sessions that'll be on my Facebook and um, Instagram. My Instagram's Steve dot dress dot T-R-E-S. sounds cool. good yeah well i think this is about <laughs> all we have time for today thank you so much steve for joining us virtually uh, oh yeah my pleasure man thanks thanks for for you just for for what you do to serve all the musicians here and for giving my recording a deep listen i, mean, I really appreciate it and a chance to talk about it which well yeah, yeah. congratulations on the wonderful record uh for all of you listeners out there, uh, Steve Tressler, saxophonist, has put out the Snowline Suite. Please go look it up on Bandcamp and buy his record and support this amazing music. 
And if you are enjoying this podcast and want to keep listening to it, you can find us uh, by looking up Jazz Talk Seattle on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your regular podcasts, you should be able to find us there. If you uh, check out our Facebook page, you can uh, find out news from uh, more episodes that are coming out. And also, uh, occasionally, we post new records that past guests have put out, too. And, uh, yep, that's where you can find all of that. Thank you so much for listening. See you next month. Later.